0: Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Bread for the
1: broken. There are four of them Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, those are their Hebrew names that will later be changed. They're going to be given new identities. You live in a new place, you're going to learn a new language, you're going to learn a new lifestyle. Oh no, by the way, we're going to rob you of your identity and we're going to give you a brand new one. Yeah, be careful with that, be cautious of that. Nobody else gets to define who you are, okay? Nobody, there's one who can He's the one who made you, it's Jesus.
0: Have you ever noticed that people are always trying to define others? To put some label or identity on people? Well, this is a big problem, especially for the young and impressionable. In today's message, Pastor James tells us about some young men who knew exactly where their identity was found. Yes, they may have been in a new place, and they may have been given new clothes, new jobs, and even new names, but who they were, who they were created to be, that was something that only their creator could define. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Daniel, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken.
1: We're gonna just get into just a little bit into chapter one. I'm gonna kind of give you guys some historical stuff concerning the uh, background behind Daniel, what what all was going on around 65 BC, and just what led to this story. Because uh, Daniel has a backstory, so to speak. Now we don't know much about him as an individual beyond just what the Book of Daniel, and as he's the author of that, records for us, but. We'll see kind of nationwide for the nation of Israel what was going on there. So Daniel chapter 1, and just right up the beginning, it says, In the third year of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. All right, so... If you don't know this about the book of Daniel, it has like a ton of critics against it. They like to say that this book is not inspired. It's not even historically factual and all this good stuff. A lot of times individuals bring up that just simply because of verse 1, because they say the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, which doesn't line up with what Jeremiah says and all this good stuff. Let me dispel that for you real fast. Daniel, who is educated in the Babylonian system, is writing this at the end of his life, probably, and is using Babylonian time frames to describe this stuff. So some people may be like, well, this wasn't the third year of Deuteronomy. It was the second year, and all this stuff. Well, this was the year after the year of ascension. And they just count years a little bit different when it comes to kingship, how the Babylonians do and how the Israelites did. Not a discrepancy, not a problem. If you actually read up on this stuff, you'll see that it's actually not its not an issue. <laughs> it's not an issue. I don't know why some people get hung up on this stuff. But basically, what's happening is you have Jehoiakim, who is the king of Judah. He's not a good guy, not a good king at all. He had, well, his dad was good. His dad was all right. He did not follow in the, those footsteps. What Jehoiakim was guilty of doing was establishing a lot of idolatry within the nation of Israel, Okay, Now, just so you understand this as well, the nation of Israel was split into two different parts, the northern tribes and the southern tribes and all that good stuff. But the whole nation as a whole was pretty much guilty of idolatry. They were worshiping all these false deities. And part of their captivity that they're about to be led into, the 70 years, is a part of that idolatry, but another part of that is because they didn't honor the Sabbath. And they wouldn't take a year off either to let the land rest. And so the culmination of all that time equals 70 years of captivity. And God's pretty serious about his commands and what he wants to happen. And so that was something that he established. We just went through the book of Exodus and we saw that where the Sabbath was established. Take a day off. Take a day off. You you should take a day off. I mean, the Bible says that science says that. Common sense says that. I mean, my goodness, take some time off. Like, rest, it's good for your body. It's good for your mind. uh, It's good for your soul. The nation of Israel got caught up into it to where they were not honoring the Sabbath, and they were not, you know, giving the, the land rest at all. So God, because He owns all the land, said, well, I will give the land rest for 70 years. And so they get you know, taken away into Babylon for a total of 70 years. God means what he says. You know, uh, he created this world, and he kind of likes it. And He after, after everything that he made, he said it was good. And uh, leave it to humanity to come in and mess things up, because that's what we're really good at. Even a beautiful planet that we have, don't worry, God's got a plan for this planet as well, Okay. Jehoiakim was not a good leader, was not a good king. And so because of his bad leadership and and just the sins that were compounding over time, the Lord is going to use a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to come down and to besiege Jerusalem. Now, just so you understand, um, historically, there were three main players in this day and age, Okay, You had the Assyrians. They were running things before everybody else, Okay, So you had the Assyrians up to the north. You had the Egyptians on the continent of Africa. They were big players within the scene as well, Okay, Israel had a deal with Egypt. They had to deal with Egypt. So they were trying to like buy protection through Egypt to protect them from invading threats like the Assyrians. Well, the Assyrians would go out of power. Eventually they'd end up going out of power. Nebuchadnezzar's dad was a key part within taking over vast majorities of the land, okay? Nebuchadnezzar's dad passes away unexpectedly. Nobody, well, I don't know why. Um, maybe somebody does. I don't. I didn't really care too much about it to look it up. So I'll be honest, he died, and then Nebuchadnezzar is, he's next in line because his dad passed away. So as he becomes king of Babylon, that's when he is moving into Israel. And they're going to have a a battle with Egypt in Carchemish. And they're going to overthrow the Egyptians there. He's He's going to besiege Jerusalem. And this is where Daniel takes place. So the book of Daniel happens like all at the beginning of that. There are three deportations from Israel into Babylon. And Daniel was part of the first deportation. Okay. So you got Israel, they've been warned. God had already told them. He even told them in the book of, uh, well, I mean, maybe the scroll, but in Isaiah, He had already told them through the prophet, hey, they're coming. They're coming. And you can get your act together, and this doesn't have to happen. But if you don't want to get your act together, then, well, they're coming. And God can use anybody. I don't care who it is. It can be, you know, a good religious person or a non religious person. He can use anybody He wants. To get his message across. And ultimately, this isn't, I hope we understand that when you look at this, the warning that the children of Israel had, and we, again, we walked through the book of Exodus and we got to see this, it wasn't because, like, God doesn't, you know, he's just mean and, you know, there's all these other foreign gods and stuff and they're harmless and all this stuff. He understands what happens to your heart and to your mind as you devote yourself to these other things. It's not good stuff. And so it's really a protective measure. Ultimately, the Israelites, they threw off God's commands and his protective measures, so to speak. And this is a reaping of what you've sown. So we got King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, comes down to Jerusalem. He besieges it. Verse 2, the Lord gave Jehoiakim, King of Judah, into his hand. It wouldn't have mattered. Anything that Jehoiakim would have tried to do, he could never amass an army that was going to be big enough and more powerful to overthrow the Babylonians. Not at all, because God's hand was in this thing. And part of God's plan was to get this wicked king into submission to, well, really just another wicked king. And, and that's what he does. And sometimes that's what the Lord does in our lives. I mean, if we want to be knuckleheads, and not listen to him, and go running off. I mean, he can use anything and everything to get us back to him. And he has. He has used anything and everything. And sometimes it's things that we would cry out, like, that's not fair, that's not fair. But ultimately, it might be in your best interest for him to wreck your life, to get you back to him. Personally, I've gone through stories like that. I mean a handful of stories in my own walk with Jesus where it's like something happens to me. Physically I've had issues, health-wise, and the Lord has used those things. He's allowed those things within my life to wake me up and to to run back to him. To run back to him. I can cry out all I want of like that's not fair. Ultimately he cares about me. And I need to stop whining and grow up and just say, all right, you know what? Maybe I should listen. Maybe I should listen. Unfortunately, it takes me a long time to learn lessons. Um, 20 years of following Jesus, and I still don't have it down. He still can use things, and he is using things to get a hold of me. Prone to wander? Yeah, absolutely. So he's going to send this message to Jehoiakim and to the nation of Israel. And just a heads up, at the end of the 70 years of just living in Babylon, for the most part, Israel never had an issue with idolatry. Now they swung from one extreme to the other extreme. They went from like not really honoring God at all, not really caring too much about the law and and the Torah and all that good stuff, to where they were like they swung way over to this other side where they not only you know made that central but then they started adding on extra stuff. Like, oh, we got busted for not honoring the Sabbath. We're going to make some extra rules concerning the Sabbath so that we never break it again. I understand where they're coming from if you've spent 70 years in captivity. You might come out of that thinking, like, let's make some extra rules, <laughs> right? We never want to go through that again. There's a lot more history behind that. But what we can trace from the end, when all this stuff had ended, idolatry by and large was not as huge of a problem for these guys. So something may have worked in the 70 years. But here's what goes on. As Jerusalem is being besieged, Jerusalem is also where the temple is. It says that Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, was given into his hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. So they went into the temple, and they took out some of the vessels and the instruments used within the worship practices. And they took them back to their own temple. Right, so they're kind of like they're just they're raiding all the stuff that they want. There's good stuff within that temple that they had set up. This beautiful temple and all these instruments, solid gold, you name it. We again went through the book of Exodus. We saw some of the materials for the tabernacle which would later translate into the temple, beautiful beautiful stuff. Well, Nebuchadnezzar now has his hands on it and he's putting it into his god's temple. That also is an indication that the city has been besieged. Kings wouldn't do that unless they had conquered the city. So clearly, at this moment in time, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem. He's going to take it back uh, with him to the land of Shinar, to the house of his god, and place the vessels in the treasury of his god. Babylon had a ton of gods, a plethora of gods, very polytheistic, multiple gods. They worship multiple gods. They had a few select ones that they would attribute different things to. What's fascinating about some of that is, you know, they had their own god of creation, and then they had their own god of, you know, this and that, and, and the god of over-agricultural type things, and just like every other civilization on this planet has had, okay? Um, there's nothing new under the sun. But They did designate for different kings, certain gods, quote unquote, that they would list as like their number one, their almighty. It's fascinating how their almighties would always change. But our almighty never changes. He never changes. So he takes all this stuff, he goes back to the land of Shinar, and it's labeled land of Shinar for a reason, because um, that has connections back to the book of Genesis with uh, a guy, if you're looking for baby names, um, Nimrod is his name. I wouldn't suggest that at all. Don't name your kid Nimrod. Nimrod ruled within this territory. Uh, The Tower of Babel would have happened within the land of Shinar, okay? That's why... I believe Daniel is using this word specifically is to remind his readers that there's a lot of bad associated with that region, so to speak. Okay, So they take all these vessels back. Verse 3, the king, this is Nebuchadnezzar, tells Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family of the royal family and of nobility, youth, without blemish, of good appearance, studs is what you can translate that over to. Skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Okay? So that's the language of that region. So what Nebuchadnezzar wants to do on this first deportation is get the best and the brightest. Get the kids. Get the kids. Get the youth. Because this is how you infiltrate another culture. You get the youth. Get the youth. And then re-educate the youth, Okay, And these guys that they do grab, these aren't, I mean, they're young kids. There's ideas of how old they may have been. Could have been like 16 years old. And they've already had an education. But they've been educated on what their parents wanted them to know and what would be representative of the land in which they lived, which was Israel. And so they learned, you know, they knew the scriptures. They would be brought up that way. They learned these certain rules and not so much etiquettes, but, you know, we do this and we don't do that. And when we, on this certain day, when we eat, we can eat this food, but you can't have this other food on the table and all this good stuff. This is how they were brought up. When Nebuchadnezzar's goal is to go in there and wipe the slate clean, He said, I don't care what you've learned. You don't live there anymore. You live here. New rules, new education, new way of living. He's going to present to them just a whole new lifestyle. And his goal is to get them while they're young. Get them while they're young. He's pretty successful at it, too, honestly. And that's, I mean, we live in, in a funny world, but I do know this. The tactics of the enemy don't really change, OK? The tactics of the enemy don't really change. I praise God that, it, I mean, it took me till I was 19 years old to finally like surrender and say yes to Jesus. But it was amazing, even as like a teenager and, and going through school and stuff, the awareness that I had of like so many different things pulling for my allegiance and my devotion. Even as a kid, I was aware of that. It always—I'm just one who's always kind of like standoffish. Anyway, um, I kind of grew up that way. Um, not so much book smart, but more like street smart in the sense of like I don't believe anything anybody tells me because you just want something out of me. Like that's how I was raised. Okay, so you kind of grow up with this kind of uh, somewhat of a criticalness about you. But it was just—it was amazing the different pulls that were going on as. Going through school of like, no, no, we want you over here. We want your allegiance over here. No, we want your allegiance over here. There's a reason, you know, that's kind of magnified, especially in your younger years. Get you when you're early, condition you and all this good stuff, and then more than likely they got you. You need to be cautious of that, even in churches. Can I is it okay to say that? Even in churches, you need to be aware of that. Like Because some churches want you to think how they think. And I can tell you, Calvary Gallison's goal is not to get you to think how we think. My goal is to get you to get into the word and think for yourself, right? You get your own brain. You use your own brain. Study the scriptures. You have your own relationship with the Lord. You need to tap into that. I can't be the guiding light for you. That's not who I am. I don't want you to be conformed to me. You don't want to be conformed to me. (laughs) You do not. You need to set your standards higher, because there's a better. And his name is Jesus. You want to be conformed to him. You don't want to be conformed to me. So our goal is not to get you to indoctrinate and all this stuff. No, that's nonsense. We just want you to fall in love with Jesus and his word. And that's it. So they got their goal. They start deporting all these good-looking young men, is what it was. and so they're going to transport them from Jerusalem, hundreds of miles to the east, to the land of Shinar, into Nebuchadnezzar's palace. This is where they're going to be living now. And this is where the new education, so to speak, begins for all these guys. Verse five the king, Nebuchadnezzar, he assigns them a daily portion of the food that the king ate. So it's not like they're getting scraps or anything, they're getting the best. When they come into his kingdom, Just so that we're aware of this, this isn't like they're prisoners of war, so to speak. I mean, they are, but he has a plan for them. He recognizes and he identifies that there are skilled young men within this group, and they have a lot to offer Babylon. And so what I want to do is I want them to stop talking their language, and I want them to start talking my language. I want them to stop reading this book, and I want them to start reading my books, And I want them to stop eating their food. I want them to start eating my food. It's a total, complete indoctrination. Like, I mean, he's like conforming them into his image is what he's trying to do. Now, the problem with Jewish young men and Babylonian Gentiles is their diets are totally different, right? These guys, no pork, right? No pork. And there's a lot of animals that were off the list, Okay. Uh, as far as like cleanness and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. In the Babylonian culture, it's almost like, well, if you kill it, you can eat it. <laughs> like that's, It's almost like the Texan way of doing things. Um, not really. Uh, <laughs> uh, we can make a meal out of anything. Uh, let's, let's be honest. People in the South, we can make a meal out of anything. Um, Babylonians were like, they had no rules. There's no rules there. I mean, the only rule was um, indulgence. And the king is like, I'm going to give you the best. Whatever is presented on my plate will be presented onto your plate. It's totally different treatment. My, my grandfather was a POW. He was a prisoner of war in World War II. And I remember he didn't talk a lot about it, and I understand that. But I do remember him retelling what he got to eat while he was in prison, and he was suffering from frostbite, and his toes are getting frozen together because they're just not taken care of at all. And they get a bowl of turnip soup And that was it. And it might have been a daily ration, maybe. That was it. These guys are like, the king's like, you can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Have you ever been on a cruise? The cruises are amazing, by the way, Um, because they have food available 24-7. And you can eat whenever you want, as much as you want. It's amazing. You kind of have this idea that in Babylon, concerning Nebuchadnezzar, he wanted them to fall in love with Babylon. He wanted them to fall in love with with his culture, his way of doing things. They get to drink the wine that he drank, which probably is going to be the best in the land. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king, and they would get graded. They would get judged based on their performance and how well they did. Among these young men that were taken, and we don't know how many were taken, you know, for the most part. There's some ideas out there, but we know that um, there are four of them, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, okay? Those are their Hebrew names that will later be changed. They're going to be given new identities. You live in a new place, you're going to learn a new language, you're learn a new lifestyle. Oh, no, by the way, we're going to rob you of your identity, and we're going to give you a brand new one. We're going to give you a brand new one. Um, yeah, be careful with that be cautious of that. Nobody else gets to define who you are, okay? Nobody. There's one who can. He's the one who made you. It's Jesus. Let him define you. Don't let anybody else define who you are, okay? And I'll just say that. This is coming from somebody who I do not like when people try to impose their things on me. I don't even like wearing the same t-shirt as my family at Disneyland. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I'm not, I will not conform. I'm not happening. And Nelly knows that. No, there's one who defines me. There's one who defines me. But in Babylon, they're redefining these guys. Well, they're trying to anyways. They don't redefine all of them. So you have Daniel, you have Hananiah, you have Mishael, you have Azariah of the tribe of Judah. That's the tribe that Jesus came out of, the tribe of Judah, the lion and the lamb, the tribe of Judah. Verse 7, the chief of the eunuchs, that's the guy we just read about a couple of verses up there, Ashpenaz, he gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar. Hananiah called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. Azariah, he called Abednego. Okay? And these are all names attributed to their deities, their gods. Okay? So that's, again, they want to redefine who they are and connect them to this deity or this God that they worship. Right? So now your new, not even just your new name, your new identity is directly connected to this thing that we worship.
0: The book of Daniel is so interesting because many of the prophecies spoken of have played out in the course of history. What an amazing glimpse of what was to come ahead of time. If there's one thing that's for sure about prophecy in the Bible, it is going to come true. Some of these things might seem a little scary or altogether strange, but how cool is it that God brings everything to a place where He's in control? and He'll bring about good in the end. If you're wrestling with things being out of your control, be reminded through the book of Daniel that God has got this. Here at Bread for the Broken, we want to be a support to you in whatever you're currently walking through. And if you'd like to use us as a resource or just give a listening ear, we're here for you. Go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'd love to get to know you in person, too. So join us Sundays or Wednesdays as we study God's Word together. Head on over to BreadForTheBroken.com to find out our service times and directions. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? Much is done to get these teachings on the radio, and we're thankful for those who feel led by God to contribute in such a way. Simply go to the About tab on our website, and you'll find a donate link. Also, if you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for listening today to Bread for the Broken. Let me
2: hate the picture of you.